would come out. Thank you for that, sacrificing that. And uh, of course, we want to welcome all the lazy people online who didn't come. <laughs> uh, no, I'm kidding. We're glad you're here. We're glad they're there. Those watching on television, it is awesome to have you. And uh, I'm, I'm loving this series. Uh, this is a cool weekend because this is the weekend. You know, on Monday, we get to celebrate and remember uh, Martin Luther King. And his name is known. And his name creates a, uh, a sense of emotion. You know, you, you, whether you think about courage or you uh, think about that ability to begin something and, and, and start something. But his name, because of the way he lived his life, is not just known in a famous way, but it creates uh, something in us, an emotion or a feeling, uh, maybe a, an inspiration or even a challenge for us to, to move forward. So it's an exciting weekend in that sense, and especially on a weekend when we're thinking about the power of a name and how uh, making our name known really matters. I was born in Adrian, Michigan, and when I was born, my dad, I guess, talked my mom into naming me Troy Dean Gramling, Troy Dean Gramling, and my dad was from Arkansas, and when we moved to Arkansas, what my mom didn't know is that I have a cousin who's a few years older than me, and his name is Troy Dean Gramling. And so when we moved to Arkansas, now Troy Dean Gramling, my cousin, and Troy Dean Gramling, me, lived in the same community of about, I don't know, at the time, maybe 10, 15,000 people. And the first time I realized or had his name made, you know, known to me in a real way is when I went um, to Arkansas State University and I was going through the registration and the register came out and said, uh, uh, said uh, sir, why are you registering? You have already got a degree because my cousin had been there. He was older than me and he had graduated with a degree. And I said, well, if you'll make me a copy of that degree, I won't register. It'll <laughs> save me a few years. The other thing is that my cousin was known at the time by uh, the, the credit agency. And so when Steph and I went to purchase our first car, um, it, he was known and they thought that he was me and that kind of impacted our ability uh, to get all that straight when it came to purchasing an automobile. But our names matter. They mean something. And I, I think it is important that your name be known as a winner. I think that the Bible teaches that it is important for you to win. I think we were all created to win and should win. And, uh, but what does that mean, right? I mean, when you think about it, if you pull out that outline that you got when you came in, pencil, paper, mascara, whatever you write with, okay? And maybe write down a word or a sentence. What, when you think of winning, what do you think of? When I say you were made to win, what does that mean to you? What's the, what's the word? Win. You were made to win. Or what does winning look like in your life? And maybe we could break it down and get a little bit more even focused. What does winning mean in your finances, in your profession, in your marriage, in your parenting, maybe as a student? I mean, what, what, what does it mean to win? You were created 
to win. And not only were you created to win, but God desires that you win. This week as I thought about that, and I thought about all the different scriptures, and and so I want to give you my definition for winning, okay? I want to give you my definition for winning. I believe that winning is the feeling of satisfaction that comes from doing your best to reach your God-given potential. If you want to really break it down, I believe that winning is that feeling of satisfaction. And, and the reason I use the word satisfaction is because we, can you put that back up please? We, um, we define this differently. In other words, why is it that you want that house? Why is it that you desire that car? It's because we believe that by obtaining those things, we will what? We will be satisfied. It's not really the money we want, is it? It's what we believe the money will give us. And we believe that the money will give us satisfaction, joy, peace, confidence, whatever word it is that you want to put there. But what we really all hunger for is a sense of satisfaction, a peace of mind, a lack of anxiety, a confidence. And I believe that that's what winning is is that winning is when you have that sense of satisfaction in your life, that sense of peace in your life, and what it is that you're really looking for, that you would agree with me that you're looking for. And then I said, it comes as a result of giving your best to your God-given. There are certain things that God gives you to help you win. God doesn't just throw you out there and say, well, I hope it goes well. No, no, no. God wants you to win. And so God's going to give you some things. We're going to see that. And then potential is your part, all right? In other words, God, doesn't, God says you were created to win, but he will not make you win. And the sad thing is, is that the all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere at one time God created us to win, and yet the majority of us don't. The majority of us aren't um, happy in our marriages. We're not fulfilled in our profession. We're not, you know, with a, have a sense of peace of mind when it comes to our finances. Even though, and it's because I think that we're not applying the principles that allow us to get to our potential with what God has already given us. So that's what I want us um, to talk about. I want us to talk about winning. And we're going to look in the same passage of Scripture that we looked at last week. We're going to look at the story of Daniel, because I think there's a really a lot to learn there. And um, I got a lot to say. So let's jump in, all right? Daniel chapter 1. Let me show you. It says, now, God had, and what's this word? Given. Now, it's important for me to set up the context. Remember what's going on in Daniel's life, in case you weren't here last week. Daniel was taken captive by the Babylonians. He was taken from his uh, country into a foreign country. They tried to get him to speak a different language, to eat a different food, to think a different way, to act a different way. He basically held hostage. So the circumstances in which Daniel succeeded were all against him. They were incredibly challenging circumstances. But in spite of those circumstances, Daniel still won. That's what the, 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 the book of Daniel tells us. And so that's encouraging to me because no matter what's going on in your life, 
No matter how difficult it is financially, no matter what happened in your job, no matter what your spouse has done or where, how your parents have responded, you can still win. Winning is not determined by our circumstances. Daniel overcame them to win. And in Daniel 1.9, it says, Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. It doesn't say that Daniel earned it. It doesn't say that Daniel deserved it. It says God gave it to him. God said, Daniel, you were created to win. So one of the things I'm going to give you is I'm going to give you the gift of having those leaders around you respect you and have affection for you. If you go to verse 17, it says, God, what's this word? Come on now. I know it's rainy and you're depressed, but God did what? Yeah, God gave these four young men, because it wasn't just Daniel. If you watch the Veggie Tales, it was Shackrack and Benny too, all right? And so there's four of these young Hebrews, and God gave all four of them an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. God says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you the gift of understanding both wisdom and literature. And God did what? Daniel, the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. Again, these are not things that they necessarily deserved or things that they earned. They were things that God said, I'm going to give these to you. You know why, Daniel? Because I created you to win. And I'm going to give you everything you need to win. And he gave Daniel those things. Now, here, the good news is, is that God didn't just give Daniel those things that he could leverage for winning. God has given you things. Did you know that? The New Testament teaches that as a Christ follower, God gives us things to help us win. Let me show you in 1 Corinthians. Paul says, now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your questions about the special abilities that the Spirit does what? And who's the Spirit give it to? And who's us? It's you, right? And the the Spirit is God. The Bible says you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We'll teach on that sometime. But the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. It is God. And God gives us. So he says, I want to talk to you about these special gifts. Because I don't want you to misunderstand them. Don't want you to get confused about this. These are not the ability to fly, you know, or, you know, it's not like we become superheroes, but there are gifts that are given to those of us who are Christ followers in order for us to win. Verse 4, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but it's the same spirit that's the source of them. In other words, they all come from God. A spiritual gift, not something you earned, is given to each of us. So that means you, Okay. As a Christ follower, you are given. We all get a gift so that we can help each other, so that we can partner with each other, so that we can help each other win. That's the good news. God's vested in you winning, okay? He's vested in you winning. It is the one and only spirit. It's God who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which person gets which gift. So we don't all have the same gifts. Right? They're all, we all look different. We all have different gifts and abilities. But God does give us all gifts because we all have different uh, purposes or different destinies. Different, if when I think about that feeling of satisfaction, there are different things in all of our lives that we think would fill in that blank. 
For some of you right now, depending on where you are, you're like, man, I'd be, it's promotion. If I could have that promotion, I'd be satisfied, you know, which it means, you know, you want the desire of moving in the right direction, that ability to influence. When you try to take, you know, what does promotion mean? Some of us, it's finances, but we all have these different gifts. So when I'm studying the Bible, I ask the question, kind of like, okay, so, so what did Daniel do with the gifts he was given to win? Because Daniel's clear. He wins. In, the might of his, in spite of his circumstances, in the difficulty of his challenges, Daniel wins. So what did the potential part? In other words, God gave him gifts, but what did he do with those gifts so that he could reach his potential? And, you know, in the next few weeks as we look through this series, we're going to look at a lot of different things. But these are the ones that, that jumped out at me, all right? Here's the first thing that Daniel understood. Daniel understood small decisions lead to, what's this word? Yeah, big. That's a fun word, right? Unless you're trying to lose weight. But let's, let's say it again. Big. Come on, one more time. Yeah, big what? Opportunities. And that's what we all want, right? We all want big opportunities at work. We want big opportunities in our relationships. We want big opportunities financially. So when I look at this, I then make the assumption that if you're not experiencing opportunity in your life, the reason you're not is because you're not taking advantage of the small opportunities that are in front of you. And there's a tendency in all of us, right? We just want the big opportunities. The opportunity for the big raise, the opportunity for the big promotion, the opportunity to have a big difference, you know. And the Scripture teaches us that big opportunities come as the result of making a good, a small decisions. Therefore, it's not enough just to know. Scripture says knowledge puffs us up. James said in the book of James to not just be hearers of the Word, but to be doers as well. Because here, if you only hear, then you don't get to experience the outcome of the principle. So Daniel didn't just say, you know what? Small decisions lead to big opportunities. Therefore, Daniel lived intentionally. And that's really what we talked about last week. We talked about the intentionality of each day. The intentionality of determining that today I'm going to make the right decision even in the small areas of my life. Now, in Daniel's life, it was in the area of what he would eat. It was his diet. Look at what the Bible says. The king, right, because they've been taken hostage. They've been taken from, from Judah into Babylon, which was an incredible place. But the king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchen. So he's like, you know what? I'm going to give you Ruth Chris. You're going to get steak. You're going to get baked potato. I mean, this is going to be awesome. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and the wine given to them by the king. So he asked the chief of staff for permission to eat, uh, to not eat these unacceptable foods. And then I just threw in verse 9 because I want to remind you, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But Daniel had to make the decision. God didn't zap him with this. God gave him a gift. And the gift was that those around him, those who had authority over him, respected him, and they, they liked him. But Daniel had to stand up and say, God's already told me what kind of diet I need to have in order to win. 
And so I, 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 I want to know if I you know, can do it a different way. And if you read the whole story, you realize that he did. And as a result, he was more healthy. He was stronger than everyone else. You know why? Because he made a small decision. And it led to a big opportunity because nobody knew that that small decision would lead there. Daniel just had faith in the principle that God had already given him. So he had, prede- he had predetermined or predecided. He was intentional about the decision that he made. Well, it's not just an Old Testament principle, but it's also in the New Testament as well. In the book of Matthew, Jesus is, is telling a story, and he talks about uh, what happens to someone who takes good care of just a few things. Look with me in Matthew 25. Excellent. You've proved yourself not only clever, but you're loyal. You've executed a rather small task masterfully. Therefore, okay, there's a correlation between these. So now I'm going to put you in charge of something what? Larger. Why did he get something larger? Because he took care of something smaller. Now that is the biblical principle. And I guess the question I would ask you is what small decision do you need to make? And, and, and the thing about Daniel is Daniel intentionally determined the decision he would make before the opportunity even arose. Small decisions. See, we, we don't look at small decisions as important, so we just tend to bypass through them. In other words, let me, let me give you a few. For example, have you intentionally already determined how you're going to respond on the freeway when you get cut off? Because you're going to, right? South Florida. Now, in Arkansas, maybe not. You know, if they did, they'd tell you they were sorry. But that's not the case in South Florida. You are going to get cut off. They're going to look at you. They're going to zoom in front of you and then cut right in front of you. How are you going to respond to that? Now, it's a small thing. Just small. But small things lead to big opportunities. And if you don't live intentionally, you will respond emotionally. You will respond how you feel in that moment. And can I tell you, you know how you're going to feel in that moment, right? Ticked off, angry, speed up on them, tell them they're number one, (laughs) zoom around them, cut them off, you know, all those different things. They're small things, but they lead to big opportunities. So if I'm not experiencing the opportunities in my life that I so desire, then I need to look back and ask myself, am I being intentional in the small decisions? We tend to just discount them. We tend to think that, oh, they don't really matter. And God is just trying to say, they do. They do. They matter because they get the attention of the people around you. Not because God sees you act right and says, oh, and pat you on the head and says, now I'm going to bless you. No, God is giving you a head of time principle. This is the way the world works, God says. He says, I want you to trust me on this. And if you will be intentional about the small decisions in your life, you will. Maybe not in your timing, maybe not in mine, maybe before, maybe after, I don't know. But he says, you will get big opportunities. How about, think about how fast you drive. And you're going to be late to go somewhere. And if you don't predetermine intentionally whether or not you're going to violate that principle, because it's a biblical principle. The Bible says that we are to obey the authority above us. 
that we are to pray for and submit to um, the government leaders in our lives. So, so the Bible has a principle, and you're going to be late. And when you're late, you're going to have to make a small decision, right? It's not some huge decision. It's not like you're going to be thrown into prison if you break the speed limit. It's not like everybody's going to look at you like, oh, I can't believe. No, no, just a small thing. But if you don't predetermine, if I don't predetermine, you know what I'm going to do when I'm late? I'm going to speed. You say, well, Troy, does it really matter? All I know is that God says it does. God says that there are opportunities you're missing, Troy. And the reason you're missing them is because you're not intentionally making the small decisions in the correct manner. And so as a result, you're missing. You know, last week, uh, if you were here, I kind of gave everybody an opportunity in five different areas to make, uh, for the most part, small decisions, but intentional decisions to make intentional commitments. And I kind of want to share with you how those turned out, okay? Last week, I challenged people to make the intentional decision, intentional commitment to be here every weekend during this series. Now, it's a five-week series. They were here last week, of course, when I asked them, so it only meant four. Um, and the globally, 712 people made that that small um, decision, that small commitment to be here for five weeks out of 52 weeks out of the several thousands, pe uh, thousand people that were here last weekend. Uh, Cooper City had 648, Pensacola had 12. Um, just give you a few of each campus each time. Number two, I challenged people to make an intentional commitment to spend 15 minutes with God every day for the length of the series. It was 27 days at the time. It's been seven days, now it's 20 days. Um, and globally, 744 people made that commitment to spend 15 minutes every day, whether it was reading or praying or reading and praying, you know, or journaling, whatever, but hanging out with God. Um, 744 people out of the several um, thousand, I didn't even uh, look at attendance, but several thousand people that were here last weekend. 679 at Cooper, seven at the Bahamas made that commitment. Number th three, and I, I encourage you that if you made that commitment to continue it. And if you weren't here last weekend, jump in on these. These are opportunities to make small decisions that teach us the discipline that we need in order to trust God in the way that we do to, to win. All right? The third one, if you remember, is I challenge people to return to God. And I don't really say give God when it comes to our money because it, everything I have, God's given me. So I'm not giving him something. I'm returning something to him. And I just challenged us. I said, return to God a percentage, a predetermined percentage to him each week of the series, you know. So, and, and the Bible talks about a tithe. It talks about 10%. I mentioned that. But I said, what I want to challenge you to do, I mean, again, I'd always encourage you to do what the Scripture says, but I, I want to predetermine a percentage and write it down somewhere for yourself. It's not a, between me and you, I said last week. I said, but predetermine if it's what the biblical 10% or if it's 2%. And then if you win the, the lottery, you know, if you live in Melbourne and you won the lottery or whether you lost your job, it's the ability to keep that predetermined commitment to return each week what God gave you during that week. And um, globally on that one, there was um, 661 
There were 604 people at Cooper. There were 12 at Pensacola, four at the Bahamas. And again, I encourage you that if you made that commitment to continue to trust God, to see what will happen. If you weren't here or last week you just didn't feel, jump in on that. There are three weeks left in the series, four counting this weekend. The book study, I challenge people to be here every week of the book study. There are four weeks. The problem was they had to get up at 6 a.m. in order to be here. And uh, globally, this was interesting. 258 people made that commitment. But on the first week, we had 611 people show up at 6 a.m. on a Thursday morning. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And that, I mean, again, that's that's what the Bible is teaching. It's teaching that small decisions, it's four weeks, gotten up a little early. But he's teaching that those small decisions lead to big opportunities. And the most challenging part for me is so many times is the very folks who are most frustrated about the condition of their lives are unwilling to do what God says that will lead to where we want to go. Please understand, you are not trying to convince God to bless you financially. You are not trying to talk God in to giving you a good marriage. That's not the way God works. God says, right over there is blessing. Right over there is the marriage you want, the satisfaction, the definition of winning. Right over there is winning. It's winning financially. It's winning sexually. It's winning professionally. And the Bible is saying, if you move over here, you will win. God is not saying, if you do what I tell you, I'm going to zap you with a winning spirit. That's not what the Scripture's thinking. And yet, many times, we believe that we're trying to convince God so that if we go halfway, we're like, okay, God, maybe I can get half blessing. You know what I mean? Because I've kind of did. I've taken steps. And God's like, no, no, the blessing is there. It's not talking me into something. Right? You have to move to where it is actually taking place. The last one is I, I, I ask people, and again, I, I encourage you to jump in on the book study. It was amazing. Um, and I do think there's a huge blessing. I, I was probably the most encouraging thing that's happened in, in a long time uh, for me is to see that many people show up at 6 a.m. Because it just shows their heart, their heart for God. And, and the whole reason I, I'm in ministry, because God nudged my heart but my whole passion is that you win. And if I didn't think you could win, I promise you, I'd do something different. And so it was so exciting to see everybody there. The last one is, I, um, is to serve at least once. In 27 days is to think of someone other than yourself at least once, to help somebody at least once. Globally, it's interesting, um, this is one of the lowest ones, 485. Um, 432 people at Cooper City said that they would serve or help somebody at least once in 27 days. Um, And uh, 34 people at Hollandale. So anyways, these are small. I look at my life and I think there are two intentional small decisions that Steph and I made that have forever changed our lives. They were just small. But they were intentional and they changed our lives. The first one was to stack some chairs. In Little Rock, Arkansas, I went to a conference one day, walked into a breakout room, chairs were messed up, and I stacked them. Didn't know the person that was teaching the breakout session. I, I, I just stacked the chairs. As a result of stacking the chairs, the person who was doing the breakout session saw that 
and decided to invite me to lunch. He was the pastor of Potential Church at the time. As a result of that lunch, a year or so later, it led to the opportunity to come to South Florida. I would have never been able to have the big opportunity to come to South Florida had I not stacked those chairs. I didn't know stacking those chairs was going to lead to the most life-impacting moment um, in my life. I didn't know it was going to lead to the biggest opportunity in my life. And yet it did. And that's what God's trying to tell us. He's trying to tell us that if you will intentionally make the small decisions, they will lead to the larger ones. Once Steph and I arrived here, I made the decision to, to park cars. And I didn't do it because I thought it was going to lead somewhere. I didn't do it because I thought it was an important job. I did it because we had a grass parking lot and people were having a hard time parking. Uh, and so as a result of parking those cars, which then led to being able to uh, garner, I guess, the attention or the influence, but it led to the position I'm in. And this position has allowed me to meet people that I would have never met, go places I would never have gone, and experience things that I would have never experienced. And it's simply because of a small decision to go out, put on an orange vest, and park some cars. The smallest decisions in my life have led to the biggest opportunities that have had the biggest impact on my life. That's not by accident. It's a biblical principle. And it's not just for me. Me. It's for you as well. But you have to decide that you're going to make those decisions, that you're going to lead, live, as we talked last week and again this week, intentionally. Here's the second thing Daniel learned, is that Daniel understood. Well, before I get there, let me tell you how I, I study the Bible, okay? Because I think it's important to this point, is I believe that the Bible is true. I believe that all of it is true. I believe that it's true in all areas. I believe that it's trustworthy in all areas. I believe that there's no error um, in the original scripture. So I completely trust the Bible. I believe that the scripture is where the power is. It's not in the way in which I arrange the teaching. It's not in even what I say. The power to transform a life, the power for you and I to win is found in the scripture. That's why reading the Bible is so important is because that's where the power is. So I really believe that. So I do not predetermine what I'm going to say and then look into the Bible to try to find verses that agree with what I want to say because there's not power in that. Okay? There's no, I, want, I want us to win. And I believe that the only way you will win or that I will win is that if we implement the power of God's Word actively in our lives. So when I'm studying the Bible, what I try to do is to look and say, okay, what is it really saying? Because the ability to impact us is in what it's really saying. And so when it came to the, the life of Daniel, and I'm looking and I'm trying to figure out what in the world did Daniel do in order to win in such difficult circumstances? Because I know that a lot of us are in some really challenging places of life. And I was surprised by this one. Didn't see it coming. And uh, here's, here's what it is. Uh, is that Daniel understood the value of the Sabbath Therefore, and when you think about the Sabbath, you're thinking about uh, taking some time away from normal activities to focus on God, time away from normal activities to, 
to, uh, to make, keep, make him the priority of our lives. Therefore, Daniel lived consistently. Now, here's how this jumped out at me. As I was reading Daniel chapter 1 and verse number 1. And I was asking the question, how did Daniel end up in this situation? Why did the people of God, why did the Hebrews end up from, in, from, get taken from Judah to Babylon? It says, during the third year of King, I, I can see it, Jeho- I, this guy, all right? During his reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Why? If you read the next verse, it says that God allowed it to happen. Why? Why did that happen? Well, if you, the best way to interpret Scripture is with Scripture. If you don't understand a part of the Bible, the best way to figure out what that verse is actually saying is to see what else the Scripture actually has to say about it. So if you go to 2 Chronicles, it gives you historical uh, perspective of this event. It says, here's what was going on. Daniel's telling you what happened in his life. Jerusalem got besieged. Nebuchadnezzar won. And we ended up in Babylon. But if you go to 2 Chronicles chapter 36 and verse 21, it says, Thus the word of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah came true. In other words, Jeremiah prophesied that this would happen. That the land must rest for 70 years to make up for the years when the people refused to observe what? The Sabbath. So they refused to be consistent in their observance of the Sabbath. Here it's talking about the land. But remember, the Sabbath is one of the God's top ten. Right? God says, remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. So if you look at the life of Daniel, you see him awaken to this. And you see his commitment to consistency when it comes to his worship and comes to his prayer, when it comes to his focus on God. Now when you go to the New Testament, we learn that the Sabbath is not just a day of the week, but a Sabbath is that day when we decide that we're going to focus on God. We're going to make Him priority. We're going to step away from our normal activities so that He can be um, what that day's about. He can speak into our lives, and we can, we can hear from Him. Okay? So in the New Testament, it's not just Saturday. Many New Testament uh, Christ followers made it Sunday because that's when Jesus resurrected from the grave. It's, it's the idea of us worshiping together and the priority. What priority should us worshiping together actually be? If you look in Hebrews chapter 10, it gives us some insight. It says, and let us consider thoughtfully how we may encourage one another to love and to do good deeds. And here's the part I want you to see. Not forsaking our meeting together. So the writer of Hebrews says, as some of you are in the habit of doing, some of you are inconsistent in the priority of worship, in the priority of coming together. It's not up in a tree. It's not out on the beach. It's not in your bedroom. Of coming together for worship and instruction. He says, as some of you are in the habit of forsaking it. Keep going. But... We should encourage one another, and especially all the more as we see the day of Christ's return coming. Now, I'm going to do my best to teach this as fast as I can, and, and, and and it's challenging. God wants you to win. And so, the Scripture teaches us that God has created 
four organizations, for lack of a better term, in which to partner with you so that you can win, okay? The four that he has created is the family, it's the church, it's the workplace, it's the government. Those are all God's ideas, okay? You don't like the government. He didn't create a kind of government, but he did establish government. And here's what that means, is that in the Scripture, in the New Testament, God gives authority to all four of those. He gives authority to the home. He gives authority to the church. He gives authority to your workplace, and he gives authority to the government. He says, here's what authority they have in your life. Here's what they need to be doing. Here's how they need to be responding. He also gives instruction to those four organizations. He gives instruction. This is the way the government is supposed to operate and what they're supposed to do. And this is the way the family is supposed to operate. And this is the way the church is supposed to operate. And this is the way your workplace is supposed to operate. He also, in the New Testament, gives the value. Here's the priority or the value of the government in your life, of family in your life, of the church in your life, and of the workplace in your life. So God established all of those. And he, part of the reason that God established all of those is to help you win. Now, the one that we're talking about here is we're talking about the church and the role that it has in, the, in our lives. Many of us think of the church as just something that exists and that we go to and maybe it encourages us. Hopefully it does. But we're inconsistent in the priority it is in our lives. We come, we don't come. We don't see it. We don't see the importance or the value that it could have in our lives. And what I want us to understand is that God says, I made you to win. But I didn't just throw you out there and say, come on, you can do it. Because you have an adversary, Peter tells us. It's a roaring lion and he's going to and fro looking who he can devour. Looking to see how, when he can keep you from winning. So God says, I'm going to give you some gifts. We read about those earlier. I'm going to give you some, some, some gifts that once you trust Christ, some supernatural spiritual gifts, and the Bible even lists what they are, the different ones that they are, and that we all have different ones. But he says, I'm not going to stop there. I'm also going to create these organizations which will partner with you so you can win. One of those being the church. And so the church has this priority, and the church was created in part so that we could glorify God by winning. And what is winning? Remember my definition of winning? The feeling of satisfaction that comes from doing your best to reach your God-given potential. It is that feeling of satisfaction. So the church plays an important role. And some of us are not winning. And the reason we're not winning is because, unlike Daniel, we're not living a consistent life when it comes to the Sabbath, when it comes to our worship, when it comes to our um, involvement in his house. Now, if we go back to Hebrews, we learn the value that his house has in your life when it comes to winning. It says, and let us consider how we may encourage one another to love. One of the responsibilities or the role of the church is to encourage us to love one another. The word encourage literally means to spur on. You know, like a spur, a, a, a cowboy would spur a horse or something. It means to challenge. It means to hold accountable. And especially in the areas that are difficult when it comes to love. Like forgiveness. 
Forgiveness, the skin naturally never does, does it? My skin naturally never says, you know what, you just need to forgive them. No, no. And so part of the responsibility of the church is to spur us on. It's to encourage us to forgive one another. It's to encourage us to live unselfish lives. Because again, I tend to think about myself, right? A lot, of, a lot of times we think of the world as this big motion picture. You're the star and everybody else is supporting actors. I mean, how many of you have thought about me today? It's been a tough day, right? We, we, we think about ourselves, don't we? Right? The only time we tend to think about somebody else is if they get in the way of what we're trying to do. So the church is here to help us be unselfish. It's to help us sacrifice. That's what, that's what uh, Hebrews is telling us. Because those things have to be evident in our lives for us to, get, to win, to be satisfied in these areas of our lives. You know, if we go back, he says, to help one another love and to do good deeds. Again, the church serves um, to inspire, to encourage, to challenge us to do good deeds. Of course, Jesus is our example. What does it mean to, to do good deeds? It means to not just do something, but to be someone, to have a, a transformation. And he says not to forsake that, to be committed for our worship together, to have a priority, to be consistent, to develop discipline. And then I love how the Amplified Version says it. It says, because as believers, we worship. And then let me give you my definition of worship. Worship is all that you are acknowledging all that he is. We come together to worship God. And in worshiping, worshiping God, we are reminded of what Rick Warren's book said. It's not about you. Because the tendency for all of us is to think it is about us. And the other night, about 2, I don't know, 2, 3 a.m. in the morning, all of a sudden I heard, woo, woo, our alarm went off. And you know, how, has that ever happened to you? And I woke up, and I'm looking at Steph, and I'm telling you, as soon as I woke up, I jumped up, I ran to that panel that we had in our bed because the alarm's going off, and I shut the alarm off. And Steph looked at me, and she's like, Troy, that might not be real smart, you know, because normally you have an alarm <laughs> to keep people from breaking in. So if it's going off at 2 a.m. in the morning, maybe somebody broke in. The thought that somebody broke in never occurred to me. <laughs> I just assumed the alarm went off and I need to shut it off before the neighbors get mad. You know, so I had to, you know, get dressed and go downstairs and check every bedroom and every closet and make sure nobody was trying to, nobody was trying to get in. And I think my response to our alarm is a lot of times the response that we have to God's house. Is that the house is kind of like an alarm. And it's here to say, man, be careful. Do not be selfish. Do not get so focused on yourself. Be careful if you're not loving, if you're not forgiving, if you're not sacrificing, if you're not being unselfish, you will not win. Those are the things that get in the way from us winning. And so God knows that. He knows my skin. He knows your skin. So he says, I'm going to create this thing called the church and they're going to meet every week. And the reason they're going to meet every week is because every week you have to be reminded it's not about you. It's not about me. And we have to be reminded every week. How? Because he says worship and he says instruction. So when you think about instruction, you think about um, 
learning, learning how to live, learning how to win. And then the last thing he says, and we could talk about it much, but he says encouraging one another, right? And, and encourage means to support, to stand beside. And we all need that in our lives. We all need people who will stand beside us or stand with us. The Hebrews forgot this principle. And because they forgot the principle of the Sabbath, it took them to where they didn't want to go. Did God know that old King Nebi was on his way? Of course he did. And so God says, I'm putting these principles in the Scripture for you to be prepared for the enemy. And then when the enemy comes and we're unprepared, we all get mad at God. God, I lost my job, and, I, and now everything's gone to, 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 the, to pot, or God, this happened. And, and God's like, I'm not surprised. I knew this was coming your way. That's why I put all these principles in your life. These principles would have prepared you for what was going to happen, or maybe these principles would have even kept it from happening in your life. But we tend to just kind of want God to zap us with winning, to zap us with promotion, to zap us with financial breakthrough. God doesn't work that way. So we need to live intentionally. We have to live consistently. And then the third thing, and we got to hurry, is Daniel understood the destructiveness of pride, so he lived humbly. And in chapter 4, it, and it's all really throughout the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar is a prideful dude. And one day, it says that he walked out on the roof and he kind of looks around. I love that Nebuchadnezzar... Well, first let me read what, what happened. Daniel, he had a dream. Daniel comes to him, and Daniel says, please take my advice. Man, humble yourself. Stop, stop sinning. Stop doing uh, sinning and start doing what is right, and maybe you'll remain prosperous. Okay? Daniel did for King Nebuchadnezzar what I'm trying to say today. Here's God's principles. Come on, man. You can do this. You can win. He says, maybe if you'll stop King Nebuchadnezzar, perhaps then you will continue to prosper. But Nebuchadnezzar didn't listen. And 12 months later, he's standing on the roof. He's walking around at the royal palace in Babylon. And Babylon was an amazing place at the time. And as he looked out across the city, he said, look at the great city of Babylon. Is that, is that the sin? No. The sin is the next line by my own mighty power. That's the arrogance. The arrogance is not look at this greatness. The arrogance is to believe he did it. And look what it says. It says, he says, I built this city, the royal residence to display my majestic splendor. And while these words were still in the king's mouth, a voice called down from heaven said, King Nebuchadnezzar, this is for you. You're no longer the ruler of this place. He says, you're done. And Daniel was able to watch all of this take place, so he understood the destructiveness of pride. Proverbs, the wisdom writer says in chapter 11, verse 2, pride leads to disgrace, but humility leads to wisdom. In Proverbs 16, 18, pride precedes destruction. An arrogant spirit gives way to a nasty fall. 1 Peter 5, 5, clothe yourself with humility towards each other. God stands against the proud, but he gives favor to the humble. So you and I have a choice to make. And the choice that we have to make kind of has two sides in all these verses. It, 
disgrace, destruction, a nasty fall, or God being opposed to us, or we can choose wisdom in God's favor. Now, which one would you choose? Right? We all choose this one. Right? Who wants to be destroyed or disgraced or to fall or to have the all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere at one time God in opposition to us? None of us do. We all want wisdom in God's favor. Well, we have to live what Daniel learned humbly. Now, I know, right? None of us think we're arrogant. Now, we all think someone else is arrogant, but none of us got up this morning, looked into the mirror and said, oh, baby, I got it going on, right? And then none of us believe we are arrogant. Arrogance is misplaced confidence. See, humility is not saying, oh, I'm stupid, I'm dumb, I can't do anything. When you do that, you're dissing God because God's the one that made you and God's the one that gave you the gifts. Humility is understand, understanding from where your strength comes. Understanding from where your wins come. Here's, here's the way arrogance looks in 2016. As you and I look into God's word and we know what God says about sexual intimacy. We know what he says. We know what he says about sex outside of marriage, before marriage, all that stuff. And yet, we choose to do it our way. Right? Now, we've got reasons and we rationalize. It's 2016. God understands. And we got all these words we say. But really what we're saying is, I know more than God. God doesn't understand where I'm at today. God doesn't understand what I'm dealing with today. God doesn't have all the details. And so we choose to do it our way. Listen, you have a right to do that. Just understand, when it comes to, to your spirituality, that's arrogance. Because you're choosing yourself over his way. Same thing is true financially, right? You, you look and you know. It's not that you're ignorant. You know what the Bible has to say about the, the financial area of your life and how you're to live your life when it comes to generosity and all that kind of stuff. And yet you say, you know what, I'm going to do it my way. You mean I'm going to do what I can. I mean, whatever our rationale is, we do it our way. The Bible calls that arrogance. Why is that arrogance? It's because you're not trusting him. You have determined that you know more. And you could apply that to any, as parents. You could apply that in friendships. We can apply that in work, right? We can apply that in any area of our lives where we know what the Scripture says, but we decide that we actually know more. And we're hoping that God will understand. See, the moment you say, I hope God will understand, you have now fallen into that category of person who is trying to convince God to bless them, as if God can overlook something and bless you. Remember, God doesn't work that way. God says there is where the blessing is. And so any place other than there doesn't receive the blessing. It's kind of like if it's raining in Key West, Right? If it's raining in Key West, you can't go to Miami and hope to get wet. But yet, that's what a lot of us do. We go to Miami and we're like, okay, God, at least I came to Miami. I live in West Palm, but I came to Miami. As if God, no, no, God wrote his word to tell us it's raining in Key West. So we got to live intently, we got to live consistently, and we've got to live humbly. Why is it so important for you to win? Why is it, remember our definition for winning? A feeling of satisfaction. Why is it so important for you to have that? Why is it so important for you to have peace of mind? Why is it so important for you to have a lack of anxiety in the area of your finances? 
because that's how you make him known in 2016. What better way to make God known than for you to win? In Daniel chapter 1, verse 18, or excuse me, verses 18 and 19, if you look at the very last part of that verse, it says, the king was most impressed with who? Daniel. And you know what happens if you read all of the chapters? You realize that the king looks to Daniel's God. Why? Because he was impressed with Daniel. He tells the rest of the kingdom to look to Daniel's God. Why? Because he was impressed with Daniel. If you look with me in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12, it says this. People who do not believe, they live all around us. Doesn't say they're evil. Doesn't say they're bad. They just don't believe. They don't believe that God is who he is and can do what he said he could do. And they might even think you're crazy. They might say what you're doing is wrong. But he says live a good life that they will see the good things you do and what? will give glory to God. They'll see you winning and they'll know you're not that good. You're not that smart. The circumstances are too overwhelming. The challenges are too difficult. And yet in the midst of those circumstances, you are winning. You are satisfied. You are progressing. And the Bible says that in that moment, you are making him known. Is it your winning and my winning? It's not even about, Jesus said it himself. Matthew chapter 5, this is like the Sermon on the Mount, greatest talk that's ever been given. He says, in the same way, your light, your life, your life must shine before people. Must shine. They must see that you're winning. They need to see that your marriage is an incredible marriage, that it is compassionate and it is loving and it is sacrificial, that it is real and that there is depth there and that it is long lasting. Why? Because that's what they want. And when they see it in you, they will glorify Him. That's why this is so important. It's not just so important because we're, we need to win or it feels good to win. No, it's even bigger. They may see your life and they will see the good things that you do and they will praise the Father in heaven because everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to not be anxious about their finances. And so when they can look at you in a financial situation that's so turbulent and yet you have a sense of peace and you have a sense of confidence and you have a sense of focus and you have a sense of direction and they say, I want that. Why do you have that? Who do you know? Who are you reading? Who are you talking to? It's not me, right? To glorify you know why the world doesn't see God? It's because we're not winning. Our marriages aren't winning. Our professions, we're not winning. We're not winning in our finances. We start winning, and he'll be known because our world is hungry. Your family, your friends, my family, our neighbors, they're hungry. The early church wasn't always liked, but they could never be ignored because they were winning. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me. So would you bow your head? I don't know what area God spoke to your heart, but I'm pretty confident that he has because he wants you to win. 
And you can. I know it. You can. God's given you gifts so that you can. He's given you the church so that you can. But you have to live intentionally. You have to make the decisions based upon his principles. To trust him with your finances. To trust him with your marriage. To be consistent in your worship. To be generous in your giving. Father, I pray that we would win. And while the world may not always understand or even agree, I pray we can't be ignored. I pray that we'd win in our marriages, we'd win in our finances, we'd win in our professions, our compassion, our love for the, the down and out and the hurting. May Potential Church be a light in 2016. And may it start in us, in me, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give God a hand. Can we do that?